message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, given the times we're living in, your first thought may be, well, what's good about it? We're only too conscious, of course, this morning of all the many problems and challenges and indeed tragedies that are unfolding around us. But you remember a few months ago on our television screens, they were full of pictures of uh, cities and perhaps India or China where they were blanketed in clouds of pollution from car fumes and factories and uh, people were walking everywhere with masks to stop them from inhaling those fumes. Well, now, a few weeks later, those people are wearing those same masks, but for a very different reason. The clouds hanging over those cities have changed. The clouds of fumes have now been replaced with a different atmosphere that's settled over all of our cities and communities. And that atmosphere is now thick with anxiety, and a mask seems no defense from breathing that in. Our cities are becoming polluted by fear. Now, the first type of pollution we saw a few weeks ago came from the activities of men, factories and cars and farming. But this second type of pollution, this atmosphere of fear, doesn't come from the activities of men. It comes from a deeper source. It comes from the hearts of men and women. The fears, you see, that have always laid there <clears throat> have been stirred up. And all over the world, the picture that came to me really was of like volcanoes, like most volcanoes in the world, they're, they're dormant. And... Uh, but from time to time, what lies deep below is stirred up. And when that happens, suddenly these volcanoes become chimneys, churning out huge clouds of smoke and debris, so much so that sometimes the sun can be obscured and day becomes night. Now, we all know by now, of course, what has stirred up the fears that lay hidden below. But I'm not here to talk about the virus. I want to speak about what it has revealed you see, this virus will come and it will go. It will last for a season, and while it is here, we should all play our parts in the practicalities of dealing with it, just as we would perhaps if there was a flood that came to our communities, or a, or a drought, or a fire. Uh, we all need to work together to deal with that uh, attack, as it were, on our community. But, you know, we saw all those things a few weeks ago, didn't we? We saw the forest fires in Australia, we saw droughts in various places, we saw floods, but they were always somewhere else. Um, the difference with pandemic is that you can sit in the car park of your local supermarket and it's no longer somewhere else. That fear is now affecting your own community. And actually, that's what I did just last week. I, I sat in the car park of a supermarket and I saw all these people arrive at once and the anxiety that you could see on people's faces. And as I sat there, I thought, wow, this must be what it would be like the day after, say, America went to war with Russia. So what I'm saying is this year it's the virus, but next year it could be something different that stirs up what lies dormant. It could be a war, could be different type of disease, different type of virus. It seems that this present threat, when it has been dealt with, our communities will, for a season, by and large, return to what they have known as peace. I mean... The football will start up again and the Olympics will probably be on the television. Uh, all the shops will open again, the clubs, the bars, people will be on the streets. 
uh, people will be rushing out to work again, rushing back, planning their holidays. You'll even be able to buy as much toilet roll as you want. Everything will look like peace is returned and will remain that way until the next threat comes to stir up the volcano again and bring to the surface all the fears that lie in the hearts of men and women. Now, a peace that can be stolen again and again is not a great peace. A peace that goes at the first sign of trouble doesn't really even deserve the name peace. I mean, if you had a car <laughs> that stopped on every hill that you got to, uh, you wouldn't tolerate it for very long. In fact, you wouldn't even call it a car anymore. You'd probably have some other choice name for it. Now, that is exactly what Jesus thought about the world's version of peace. He promised his disciples that he would not give them the world's peace. Listen to what he said about peace again, recorded for us in the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And notice Jesus describes the peace the world gives as one that still allows our hearts to remain troubled and afraid. Troubled and afraid seems to be our default condition. I mean, in polite society, we learn to hide it, we learn to bury it, we fill our lives full of activity and work as hard as we can to get the money to feel a little bit further from fear. Remember I compared our lives to like a dormant volcano? It's almost as if we pour all these earthly activities into the mouth of that volcano like a stream of dumper trucks dumping earth into the mouth of a volcano to try and seal it. Now, if we actually saw people doing that, we would compare them to children building sandcastles in the face of the incoming tide, we would say, you have no idea how powerful a volcano is, do you? But do you know that the Bible says that the magnitude of the volcano, that's the fear that lies in the heart of men, it's beyond understanding. The Bible reveals the size of the magnitude of that fear, and it does this by revealing to us that this fear is actually a type of darkness, because darkness is the absence of light. And this fear in our hearts exists because of an absence. The greater the absence of light, the greater the darkness. The greater the absence in our hearts, the greater the fear. What's the only way to deal with darkness? How do you get rid of darkness? There is only one way. Only the presence of light makes darkness to flee. Now Jesus knew that the root of man's selfish behavior was the darkness, the absence in the hearts of men and women. So there was no point in commanding people to stop their selfish behavior if you don't do something about the root of all that behavior. Now the government can certainly and rightly pass laws and enforce laws to stop people behaving selfishly. These are laws that we should respect. The Bible describes that as a good use of the law to restrain evil and to protect the vulnerable. But laws and commands cannot deal with the root of our behavior, the fear that lies at the root of all the selfishness in this world, the selfishness that results in the wars, the injustice, the famine, the poverty, and the disease. Uh, these horrors are all branches off a root that lies hidden in the hearts of men. And Jesus was clear about his mission. He said he hadn't come to tinker around with the branches. He hadn't come to take an ax to the branches, but an axe to the root. And that's why he had little time for religion, what he described as like cleaning the outside of the cup and leaving the inside dirty. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Now today the sun is shining 
and uh, it's going to be a good day. But normally in this part of the world, we do not get the sort of climate uh, that they would perhaps in sunnier places like Spain or France. Imagine if you're sitting in your back garden over here, and one day the neighbor popped his head over and said, would you like to see my orange tree? And you're thinking, an orange tree in this place? I've got to see this. So you look over the fence, and what do you see? He's actually gone to Tesco's, bought a whole pile of oranges, and he's superglued them onto the branches of a thorn bush in his back garden. Now, from a distance, it looks like a tree with oranges on it, but would you call that an orange tree? Why not? Because no matter how much you decorate or disguise the branches, what determines what type of tree it is, is always the root. I mean, your neighbor can keep pruning the branches of that thorn bush for a thousand years. It'll never turn into an orange tree. And that is what Jesus came to reveal about religion or self-effort. It simply doesn't deal with the darkness, the absence that is at the root of all men's selfishness. Because you can't work your way out of darkness. There's only one thing that deals with darkness, light. There is only one thing that deals with the absence in the hearts of men and women, presence. The presence of what was absent. And that's exactly why Jesus came. He didn't come to tinker with the branches. He came to deal with the root. He didn't come to bring in some new religion, some new laws to better restrain our behavior. And that's because he knew what that absence was in the hearts of men. And it wasn't the absence of the knowledge of good and evil. It was the absence of what men's hearts were made for, the very presence of God himself. And that's why John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel that Moses gave the law, but he couldn't write that God gave grace and truth. He had to write grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, here is the most amazing truth. God did not make us to stand back from us. He made us to be his home. He made us to be filled with nothing less than his own presence, his own spirit. You see, that's what love does. Love comes in person. Now, you know that already. I mean, God forbid if a loved one of yours or perhaps a child of yours ends up in hospital ill, you will never be content to stay at home and simply text them in instructions on how to get better. I mean, you as a parent would have such a love in your heart that you could not stay away because you know that your child cannot know peace in that place without you with them. Now, I need to ask you a question this morning. Do you honestly believe that the love you have in your heart for your child is greater than the love of God, the love in God's heart for this world? One of the greatest tragedies in the world is that countless numbers of people have been left by their religion believing in a cold-hearted God, a God who has socially distanced himself from us and from our sin virus, who has self-isolated himself in his heaven and is content to leave us with some instructions on how to keep ourselves clean enough to qualify to enter his clean house one day. How far from the truth is that when the truth is that God is a father who refused to keep his distance, whose love for us was so great that he came in person into the depths of our darkness, the depths of the separation between man and God. And he took up residence right there. He made a light to shine in the darkness, his presence to live where before there was just absence. And he did that so that no one would have to live a life that has darkness at its root, but that man's eyes would be open to see and receive this light 
the presence of God, God's very own spirit into their lives. A presence so strong that no darkness in this world, even death itself, can extinguish that light, that life, the life of Christ. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now remember, I said that the greater the absence of light, the greater the darkness. So too, the greater the absence in our hearts, the greater the fear. So how great is the absence in men's hearts? It is so much greater than any amount of religion or self-effort can fill. For you and I were made for God himself. And that is why no amount of earth, this earth dumped down the mouth of your volcano, is going to do any good when the ground starts to shake. That's why religion or philosophy or new laws may restrain men's behavior, but they cannot change the heart of a man because nothing can change darkness except light and nothing can change absence except presence. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that the world gives, I mean, it's like a candle in the wind, a light always waiting to be extinguished. The peace that God gives is nothing less than his presence. Now, if the absence within us is actually an absence of the presence of God, just think how great an absence that is. The presence of education in your life is good. The presence of knowledge in your life is good. But as long as there remains an absence of the presence of God, our lives remain rooted in the darkness of fear. And Jesus said, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that's why religion or self-effort is powerless, because it totally underestimates the depth of the darkness, the magnitude of the absence in the heart of men. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, the truth never enters the mind of a natural man that in fact he was made for nothing less than God himself, for God to share his life with. I mean, that is so incredible. It just doesn't enter our minds. The Apostle Paul said it this way, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And so this gospel, this good news that God didn't hold back his own life, his own son, but give him for us all, to us all. This revelation that light has come into the darkness, that presence is freely available to replace absence. As that truth dawns on our souls, it has the effect of dispelling the fear. Because where light is, darkness cannot remain. And the more our hearts grow to receive his love, to believe in him, and that's what it is to believe, it is to receive this love that comes in person. That very love, that very spirit begins to lead our hearts out of the shadows of fear and into the glorious light and liberty of the children of God, who scripture calls the children of the light, because the root of our lives is no longer darkness, no longer absence, but light, presence. God has been revealed by Christ to be the God who freely gives himself, who freely gives all things. For if he did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us with him all things, as Paul wrote in the book of Romans? He goes on to say, you know, that the glorious things, these glorious things that we're speaking of can only be revealed by God's Spirit, because to the natural man, this sounds like utter foolishness. 
I keep thinking of Jesus' story of the homecoming of the prodigal son, how the father lavished so much on the son who deserved nothing, and how foolish that appeared to the elder brother, the naturally religious brother who had worked all his life to deserve uh, what he thought the father would give him. Listen to the dictionary's definition of prodigal. It says that prodigal means using or expending resources freely and extravagantly, having or giving something on a lavish scale. We call that story the prodigal son, but as Tim Keller has rightly said, it should be called the prodigal father because he was the one who lavished on an unimaginable scale his life, everything he had to someone who appeared in the natural to have deserved nothing. He so loved the world that he gave. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's so beautiful just to feel the sun on our faces. We were made for the light. We weren't made for the darkness. We weren't made for fear. We weren't made for separation. We were made to share your life. We were made, Lord, to be your home. And uh, Lord, that was your promise that you would come and you'd make your home in us. And Father, I just thank you for the power of light. It always makes the darkness to go. I thank you, Lord, for people who are hearing this message this morning and finding something happening within their lives, something called hope, something called life, something called truth, which is starting in their hearts to dispel darkness. I thank you, Lord, that that truth will grow. That seed, Lord, will grow and it will grow to become such a wonderful source, such a wonderful tree that it will push out everything else, every bit of darkness, and we become a river of living water, a fountain within them, a fountain of light, of life, and that they too will become light in the darkness and a light to all their friends and neighbors who are in fear. We ask this in Jesus' name. God bless you.